You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, Chapter 7 Uh, God has been sharing the story that I just shared with you in the previous chapters, and now he is going to illustrate to Israel, he is going to reveal to Israel how sinful Israel has become. Isn't it interesting how sin can creep in and you don't even really notice it? Uh, It's kind of like, you know, sometimes at the house you go on and you're like, has this thing been dusted for a while? And you put a finger across, you're like, wow, there's a lot of dust. You didn't even notice it happening. Well, sin is that way. It's come in and it's just, it's made the nation incredibly filthy. And God is going to expose, God is going to reveal just how, how bleak things are. Chapter 7, are you there? Okay. When I would have healed Israel, God says, I wanted to. I wanted to heal Israel. The iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria. Uh, If you're new with us, Ephraim is the chief tribe of the northern kingdom, and Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom. So these words are just synonyms for Israel, for the northern kingdom. I wanted to heal Israel, but the iniquity of Ephraim, or Israel, was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, or Ephraim, or, or, or excuse me, or Israel was recovered. For they have committed fraud. A thief comes in, and a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember, read these words with me, that I remember all their wickedness. They do not, they don't remember that. We don't think about that. We remember the sin that we did five minutes ago. We might even remember the sin that we did last week. If it was really bothersome, we might remember the sin we did last month. But do you remember the sin you did 10 years ago? God says they forget that I know all their sin. We watch the news, and isn't it daunting to watch the news? You're just like, oh my, sometimes I can't handle it, right? It's like, I got to turn it off. I can't handle any more bad news. I want you to think of something. We see only a sliver of all the bad news in the world. God sees what goes on in every nation. God sees what goes on in every city. God sees what goes on in every home. God sees what goes on in every heart they do not consider in their hearts that i remember all their wickedness aren't you glad that in jesus christ your sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west oh i'm so thankful now their own deeds surround them or in other words god is saying they're just guilty of sin they are before my face they make a king glad with their wickedness and princes with their lies. Uh, What's that? What's he saying? He's saying uh, they are so wicked that they even make the king glad with their wickedness. And you say, how could that be? Well, here's how, because guess who else is really corrupt? The king. And so he's bribed positions, and he's doing shady deals, and he's doing crooked things, and he actually loves it when things are crooked, but he comes in and does more crooked things, and that's how he stays in power. Wow. Uh, Here is an overview of how sinful the nation has become. The whole nation is corrupt from head to toe. Notice what he says, uh, bands of thieves on the inside and on the outside. You go indoors and there's a bunch of thieves. You go outdoors and there's a bunch of crooks. Verse 2, he says, their evil deeds have surrounded them. Verse 3, he says, even their leaders love corruption. And here we see just how dark Israel 
Israel's character has become. And you know what? It reveals something, doesn't it? It reveals that our sin is progressive and that our sin is deadly. We don't see it sneaking up on us, but it's progressive. It gets worse and worse and worse. And it becomes so bad that it's just, well, the Bible says that in the end, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, you give yourself over to selfishness and you will get more and more and more what? Selfish. You give yourself over to lust and you will get more and more and more lusty. You give yourself over to anger and you'll get more and more and more angry. You'll get a shorter and shorter fuse. You give yourself over to materialism and you'll just be, you give yourself over to alcohol and it's progressive. And not only progressive, but what? Deadly. It ruins marriages. It ruins families. It destroys your ability to connect with a child's heart. It destroys uh, adult-to-adult relationships. It ruins friendships, and it destroys and kills nations. Our sin is progressive. Our sin is deadly. And that is why the Bible teaches that we must constantly die to our flesh. It is contrary to to logic. But I want you to know that's what God has called us to do. Do you realize that as a church we have a responsibility to die to our flesh? Uh, that is a message not taught very often in most churches today. To die to our flesh. Why would we die to our flesh? So that we might live under the power of God. Jesus said, uh, if you, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. You have to die to your, to, your, to your flesh so that you might become all that I have called you to be. And if you seek to find your life and you just go after living for selfishness and living for everything you want and it's always about you, uh, I just need to love myself more. No, you don't. You love yourself a boatload. You need to quit thinking about yourself so much and why don't you start thinking about others you know what will happen? You'll have tons of friends. You'll have meaningful relationships. You'll be able to serve others and pour into others. And God will raise you up and your life will have substance. But there's a way that seems right into a man. And that way is loving self. And it leads to death. And Israel had just been serving themselves over and over and over. And their sin is progressive and it has made them ugly. What a horrible thing to see Israel in this state. Our sin is so aggressive. Our sin is so hungry. Our sin is so insatiable. You have one drink, and then what do you want? Another drink. You go shopping, and then what do you want to do the next day? Go shop. Well, didn't you buy yesterday? Yeah, but I want to buy again today. Well, you just, I know, but I want this. It's crazy. Our sin is insatiable. And our sin is like a cancer, and it will spread through the whole body. When you have a cancer, when you have a tumor, what do they do? Oh, man, we stop everything. We stop everything, and we say, we got to deal with this. And we take it seriously. Why? Because we know, what will it do? It'll spread through our whole body until it kills us. Sin is the exact same way it is progressive and it brings death and notice what god says god says i wanted to heal them but their iniquity was what their iniquity what verse one i want to hear you say it uncovered what does that mean i wanted to heal them but their iniquity was uncovered it wasn't uncovered to God. It wasn't like God said, oh my gosh, I didn't know they were sinful. No, no, he knew it all along. So what does it mean their iniquity was uncovered? What does that mean? It means they were flaunting it. It means they were proud of it. It means they were parading it. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. I wanted to heal you, but you were parading your sin. That's a problem. 
Israel was so proud of their sins. It was brazen. It was unrepentant. And when we say, hey, what kind of sin destroys a nation? Well, here we clearly see the sin that destroys a nation is brazen, unrepentant, wanton sin. That is the sin that destroys a nation. If we would simply confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But it's when we are brazen about our sin, when we are, uh, uh, I just, I can't say it better than what he said. I wanted to heal them, but their sin was uncovered. Uh, They're just proud of it. Dangerous place to be. Our sin is so progressive. Isn't it interesting how it works? We start off thinking, God doesn't see my sin, like it's done in secret. And then we get comfortable with it. And then we say, God understands my sin. Well, I know I shouldn't do that, but God understands. Yeah, he understands that it's sinful. But we deceive ourselves. And then we go from God doesn't see my sin to God understands my sin to God approves of my sin. It's okay. It's okay. We love each other. God approves. And then we go to saying my sin is not sin. And do you see how progressive sin is? My sin is not sin. As a matter of fact, I'm proud of my sin. As a matter of fact, I'm going to parade my sin. And some of you might be thinking of gay pride right now and, and, and those pray. That, that's true. That's an example of it. But that's only one sliver of what all humanity does. We quit realizing how sinful our sin is. I remember the first time I said a swear word as a young boy. I think I was in fifth grade, if my memory serves me correctly. And I remember specifically where it was, vividly. I was at 7-Eleven in the candy aisle. (laughs) And I had my allowance, and I was with some friends, and something happened, and I said my first swear word. And after the word came out of my mouth, you know what I waited for? I stopped. I looked right and left. I was like, am I in big trouble or what? I was waiting for lightning bolts to fall from the sky, right? I was waiting for some hand to come and whap, you know, and I deserved it. But you know what happened? Nothing. And as a result, you know what happened? I swear, I said another, not right then, but later. (laughs) And so by the time that I got into high school, swearing was just a regular part of my vocabulary. And I no longer thought it was wrong. And I no longer thought it was sin. And I just did it. Isn't it interesting how sin is so progressive in our lives? Uh, By God's grace, when I finally got saved at 28 years old, uh, my vocabulary changed in a day. Uh, God just took that from me. Uh, I haven't swore since. Uh, but our sin is progressive, and it's interesting how we, we start thinking it's okay. There was a time in our country when people were embarrassed about our sins. And I'm talking about the United States of America. Uh, when we were embarrassed about our sin, when sin was done in, in secret, and man, you just, you know, then you felt bad about it. Remember those days? Not anymore. Now sin is just done openly. It's publicly flaunted everywhere. Uh, It's on TV. It's in our music. You know, the art reveals a lot about a society. Have you listened to our music? It is so vulgar. I cannot believe it. If I told you some of the names of the songs... Uh, As I look on the top 50 songs in America, I could not believe just the titles of vulgar, just vulgar. You look at social media, and we've become incredibly sinful. Uh, We look at uh, TV and radio and, and social media and what people wear and clothes, and it's just incredible, and we do it openly. And there's F-bombs everywhere now. Remember when the F-bomb, that was like a, 
That was like an atom bomb, man. That was just, it's common. It's common. Crazy. We become a vulgar nation. And we do it openly. And we don't even think we're sinning. And God tells Israel, I would have healed you. But you, don't, you just do your sin flagrantly and openly. Your sin is uncovered. A hundred years later, Jeremiah the prophet would say the same thing. Look what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, let me hear you read this as a unified voice. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Let's, let's pause there a second. Let's, let's drink that in. They sinned publicly. They weren't ashamed of it. And it didn't even cause them to blush. Uh, wow. Look what he says. That's the sin that will destroy a nation. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. God's arm is not short that it cannot save. This is Isaiah 59. God's arm is not short that it cannot save. God's ear is not deaf that it cannot, cannot hear. But our sins have separated us from God. If we would confess our sin and call it what it is, what is it? Sin. If we would call it sin, he would heal us. He would forgive us. But the sin that was, will destroy a nation is a sin that is done openly and frank, uh, just uh, brazenly, uh, unrepentant, wanton sin. May we be wise. May we be careful. Today, do you know what we're experiencing in our, in our country? We are experiencing the sin of approving sin. The sin of approving sin. And that is the sin that will destroy a nation. When we no longer blush, when we no longer say it's sin, when we parade our sin and say that we're proud of our sin, uh, that's a dangerous place to be. I want you to know God is not a harsh taskmaster. He's not saying, I won't heal you because you've sinned. God is saying, I wanted to heal you, but I couldn't heal you because you're so proud of your sin. You're flaunting your sin, and that is what is holding you back from my forgiveness, from my healing, from my restoring you as a nation. And the same is true for us individually. So God has revealed how sinful the nation is, and God is now going to reveal uh, uh, four similes uh, that will kind of show how sinful Israel has become. They've been an unfaithful spouse to him, and he's going to show four similes to show how, how sinful Israel has become. These four similes, uh, read them with me if you will. The first one is of the burning oven. The next one is the burned bread. The next one the silly dove, and the next one, the treacherous bow. Uh, these are like parables. These are like stories to, help, to, help, to wake us up, to get our attention. And so the first simile or the first parable he's going to give is the, the, the simile of the burning oven. And you find it in verse 4. Let's read. They, who's the they? Israel. Israel. Israel, Israel <clears throat> are all adulterers. Uh, they're all cheating on me, God would say. They're all an unfaithful spouse. I've been a husband to them, but they're going a-whoring after all the different lovers in the world, and they don't love me. And so he says, they're like an oven heated by a baker. And he, that's the baker, he ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it's leavened. He puts leaven in the dough, and he kneads the dough. He heats up, preheats the oven, and then he waits uh, for the dough to become leavened. Do you know, leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. Uh, do you know what leaven does to, to dough? It makes it rise. Do you know why it makes it rise? It actually makes it rise by a putrefying process. You put leaven into the dough, and it actually starts rotting the dough. And that bacteria begins to grow, and that bacteria causes the dough to swell and to rise. 
And then it goes into the oven to kill all the bacteria so you can eat it. And this is the picture that God is painting here. Uh, you preheat the oven, and then he waits for the dough to be fully leavened. And now he's going to describe some of this. Verse 5, in the day of our king, uh, you might want to write a little note right there. What does that mean, the day of our king? That means on royal holidays, on government holidays, on royal holidays, princes have made him, that's the king, sick. Inflamed with wine, he, the king, stretched out his hand with scoffers. What's he saying? The king's getting drunk, and he's hanging out with wicked people, and he's making wicked deals with wicked people. The dough is getting leavened. Do you understand what God is saying? Verse 6. They prepare their heart like an oven, waiting for the leaven to spread. While they lie in wait, the baker sleeps all night, and in the morning it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven. They're just like uh, waiting to, to, to you know, do their corruption and their, their, their schemes. And look what he says here. And they have devoured their judges. What does that mean? They have devoured their judges. Uh, over devoured, you can write killed. They have killed their judges. By judges, you can write their leaders, their governors, and their kings. They have devoured, killed their judges, their kings, their governors. All their kings have fallen. They've all died. They've all come to ruin. And, and read this with me. None of them calls upon me. Crazy. Wicked scheming. Killing each other. And none of them calls upon me. Jump down to chapter 8, verse 4. <clears throat> they set up kings. Verse 4, read this with me. They set up kings, but not by me. In other words, I didn't appoint their kings. Uh, the northern kingdom, remember Israel was one united nation under King David and then under King Solomon, and then the nation split in two, the northern and southern kingdom. Uh, and then uh, when it split in two, uh, the northern kingdom over the, over the years had 19 different kings in the northern kingdom. All 19 were totally wicked not one good king in the northern kingdom. And here's why. Because they set up kings, but not by me. Do you think they ever prayed and asked God, God, who should be the king? God, would you appoint a king? Would you raise up a ruler? We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to seek your face. We're going to ask you, Lord. We're going to ask the prophets. We're going to ask you, Lord, to appoint a leader. No, no, no. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. Uh, all these kings, they ascended to power. Do you know how they ascended to power? By what we just read. By drinking and partying and getting drunk and by evil and corruption. They ascend to power by deceit and by corruption. I want to show you a list of the last six kings of the nation Israel before they were destroyed, before the nation went, went to captivity to Assyria. Take a look at these last six kings. Uh, you'll notice that, look how many of the kings were assassinated. So Zechariah was a king. That's not Zechariah the prophet, by the way. He was a good man. This was that King Zechariah. He was a bad king. He was assassinated by Shalom. Uh, he assassinated King Zechariah. And then, no worries, because Menahem came in and assassinated Shalom. And then Pekahiah came up, and he was a king for a very short time. And Pekah came in and, and assassinated King Pekahiah. And then Hosea, not to be confused with Hosea, who wrote this book, uh, but King Hosea, the, the last king of Israel, he was assassinated. He assassinated King Pekah. So uh, here we can see all the kings came into power by how? By prayer? By seeking God? God, who do you want to be king? No, how do they come into power? By corruption 
and by evil and by murder. Wow. Go back to chapter 7, verse 8. Well, uh, let me stop there a second. Uh, well, what the heck? We'll just move on for time's sake. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, so that is the parable of the burning oven. Uh, you're like leavened bread in a burning oven, and you're just full of corruption, man. Uh, just uh, evil all around. Now he's going to give us the next simile, uh, excuse me, simile, the simile of the burned bread. Uh, and this one is, is, is interesting. Look at verse 8. Ephraim, again, Ephraim is the, the chief tribe of the northern kingdom, so Israel. Israel has mixed himself among the peoples. The peoples, meaning the pagans, the nations. The, in other words, Israel has not been set apart to me. They've adopted all the world's ideologies. They've adopted all the world's views. Instead of knowing my heart and my will and my word, they've just become like all the nations of the earth. I wonder in the church in the United States how much of the world's ideology has been adopted by the world. It blows my mind that we are not keeping God's word. That we are ordaining homosexual marriage in the church. That there are homosexual priests in a lot of churches. And that is just a, a, a icon of all the world's ideologies that we have adopted. How many churches have premarital classes and young adults that are saying, you cannot sleep together until you get married. And here's what it means to be a man. You deny yourself, and for the sake of the woman that you're courting, you put her needs and God's word above your own desires so that you can grow to be a godly man one day and have an amazing family. Uh, no, no, no. I don't think that's happening in the churches nationwide. I think the church has adopted what? The world's ideologies. And that's what he says here. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples, adopting all the world's ideologies. And so he says, Ephraim is a cake, unturned. Interesting. Uh, the, the word unturned, by the way, uh, is half-baked. Uh, have you ever heard, oh, that's, that's a half-baked idea. Uh, this is where it came from, right? Uh, what is a cake unturned? What is that? Imagine you got a pancake on the griddle and it's unturned. What's going to happen to it? It's going to be black on the bottom, ruined, and it's going to be doughy on it's going to, it's in other words, it's worthless. It's good for the trash can. And here's what God says, Ephraim is a cake unturned. Why? Because aliens have devoured his strength. Uh, they've adopted all these world ideologies, and now their wisdom and their power is completely gone. They have no discernment whatsoever. They have lost their way. They are not a wise, understanding, discerning nation. Uh, they can't even put a sentence together. Israel has become uh, devoured in strength. And look at this. But he does not know it. I want you to highlight that, but he does not know it. In other words, they still think they're smart. They still think they're on top of it. Uh, yes, gray hairs are here and there on him. I know something about that. Uh, yet he does not know it. What's God saying? He doesn't realize how much time has passed. He doesn't realize how long he's been apart from me, how long he's been away from God. He doesn't realize how weak he is. He doesn't realize that all his discernment is gone. Two times he says here, he does not know it. He does not know it. Uh, and yet, verse 10, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. You can see how just arrogant and foolish he is. But they do not return to the Lord their God nor do they seek him for all this. They're a total mess. They have no wisdom or discernment. 
they're falling apart, but they do not seek God for all this. They don't even try to seek him. They're a, they're burned bread. And burned bread is good for nothing. Hard burned black crust on the bottom, raw dough on the top, good for nothing but the trash can. Uh, that's a picture of Israel, God says. And it says that they weren't even aware that their strength and vitality were gone. Think about it. They had no wisdom. They had no discernment. And they would not find this out until it was too late, until judgment came, until they were taken away captive by another nation. What were they doing? Well, they didn't realize they were fools and that they were ignorant. They thought they were so smart. They were celebrating their freedoms. They were drinking. They were partying. They were enjoying their material, pro material prosperity. They were thinking, oh, it's great, man. Everything's great. Uh, but they don't have any discernment. And you don't even realize that the enemy is at your border. And he's coming in like a flood. And you're doing nothing about it. You're not even calling out to your God. See any parallels? Oh my goodness. Judgment at the doors. I tell you what, may we not be so arrogant or the same thing will happen to the United States if we do not humble ourselves, turn to God and repent of our sins. Take note, two times in verse 9, God says, Sin has devoured your strength, your wisdom, your discernment, and you did not what? Know it. Two times. There is nothing worse than a fool who thinks he's wise. There is more hope for someone in bankruptcy than for a fool who thinks he's wise. And this was the picture of what sin does in our life. Uh, that's the simile of the burned bread. Now we're going to, this is my favorite one. I love this simile. The simile of the silly dove. Uh, uh, God's interesting in how he speaks, is he not? Uh, I, I love how far he goes to get our attention. Look at verse 11. This is the simile of the silly dove. Ephraim, again, that's Israel, is also like a silly dove without sense. Without any intelligence, just a, without, without discerning anything. Why? Because they call to Egypt for help, and they go to Assyria. Uh, let's pause there for a second. I want us to understand that. God calls them a silly dove, and you're going, what? I, I, that seems weird. Uh, if you know anything about doves, doves are, I, I love animal. I love the animal kingdom. It's fascinating to see how God does things. Uh, Doves do something very interesting. Uh, you've heard them in the morning. Or you've heard them, right? Uh, I'll go ahead and do it for you. What the heck? <laughs> I'll make a fool of myself. Uh, they make that sound, right? <laughs> right? Just like that. The bar is low when you applaud that. The bar is low. That sound, you've heard it, right? Hoo, 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 right? When do they make that sound? They make it two times a day. At dawn, right before dawn, they start making it. They make it for two hours. In the dawn, and then they make it at dusk. And do you know who makes it? What, what dove? Male or female? The male dove makes that noise. And only if the male dove doesn't have a spouse. Oh. Only if he's unmated. That's a mating call. He's making that noise because he's looking for love. And here's what God says to the nation Israel. You are a silly dove. For you are married to me. And yet you are hooting and howding to who? To Egypt and to Assyria. Wow. Wow. How amazing, right? Uh, look what he says. Uh, uh, you're doing these things. You're like a dove without a mate. You're cooing to Egypt and Assyria for help. Instead of turning to me, instead of calling for me, why don't you ask for me? 
you silly dove. Uh, God would, uh, would speak of this a lot in the book of uh, Hosea. For time's sake, I'm just going to put the verses on your screen. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 13 on your screen. Let me hear you read this. When Ephraim, that's Israel, saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerib. He cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound, you foolish dove. Uh, you foolish dove is my words, not, not Hosea's. Uh, but do you see what he's saying, what God is saying? Look, you saw that you were sick. You saw your wound. You saw you were in trouble. And what did you do? You went to Assyria. And you went to King Jerib. Now, Jerib was not his name. Uh, his name was Shalomanasser. Uh, but Jerib is a sarcastic name. It's an epitaph for the contentious one. Hosea says, you went to the contentious one for help. Uh, to the Assyrian king, Shalomanasser. Uh, but he cannot cure you. Nor can he heal your wound, you stupid dove. Do you understand? Crazy. Uh, here's another one, Hosea 12. Ephraim feeds on the wind. Uh, uh, let me see you try to eat the wind right now. Yeah, good luck, that working, right? And pursues the east wind. He increases daily, daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. And again, my words, you stupid bird, what's wrong with you, right? Uh, notice what he says. You increase in lies and in what? Des what is desolation? Desolate means bankruptcy. Uh, you increase, increase in wickedness. And you increase in bankruptcy. Wow. And notice what he says. They make in a covenant with the Assyrians. And oil is carried to Egypt. Now this isn't petroleum. OPEC wasn't invented yet. Uh, this is olive oil, right? They're making payments to Assyria. And they're making payments to Egypt. And if we study history, we know something about this. In 726 BC, King Hosea... Uh, he is the king of Israel. Uh, he began paying tribute to the king of Assyria. His name was Shalmaneser V. Uh, and he set up uh, Assyria as an overlord over Israel. And Israel became, King Hosea became a tribute king, a vassal king to Shalmaneser V. He did that for Military protection because Israel was getting weak. So he sets up this deal with Assyria. Hey, will you protect us? Will you help us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, will you pay us? And, and so he paid him silver. And, and, uh, but then something happened. After he made that deal, guess what happened to Assyria? Egypt attacked Assyria. And uh, Assyria had a big battle on their hands. So guess what King Hosea did? King Hosea goes, oh, well, I'm not going to pay tribute to the king of Assyria anymore. I'm now going to make a deal with who? Egypt. With Egypt. And he goes to Egypt and he makes a deal with Egypt. And what do you think that did to the king of Assyria? Ticked that ticked him off. And that's what this verse is talking about. Uh, they make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt and you silly dove. And, and here we see, man, if you study history, that's exactly what happened. So here's what the king of Assyria did. Here's what Shalmaneser V did. He comes down in 724 BC. He comes down and he takes King Hosea and he kills him. And he then besieges Israel and... Uh, Israel is besieged, uh, and a lot of us don't know what that is anymore because we don't live in those days, but that means that they bring armies all around the parameter of Israel so that no one can get out and no one can get in. And when that happens, your Amazon, Amazon truck can't come to you anymore. <laughs> you can't get groceries anymore. You can't go buy food anymore. You can't, and you starve to death slowly. And he besieged Israel. Israel survived the siege for two years. 
And in 722 BC, the king of Assyria came in. Israel was starving to death. And they took every person in the northern kingdom captive into Israel. And the Assyrians were cruel. They put hooks in people's noses. They put hooks in people's jaws. They would, you, you, you'd rebel, they would bury you in the sand, standing up, bury you in the sand, pull your tongue out, and put a, sty- a spike through your tongue into the sand so you would dehydrate there and die. Uh, they were cruel. Uh, and uh, instead of turning to God, they turned to Assyria, and that's what they got. You foolish dove. Um, where do we leave off? Verse 11. <clears throat> Verse 12. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like the birds of the air. Uh, God is talking to them as a foolish dove, and God said, I'm going to trap you like a dove uh, according to what their congregation has heard, or in other words, according to all the evil they have done. Woe to them, verse 13, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them because they have transgressed against who? Me, God says. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. I called them, I made them my own, but they've spoken lies against me. They did not cry out. I want you to circle these words in verse 14. They did not cry out, circle the words to me with their heart. They cried out. Who'd they cry out to? To Assyria and to Egypt. They cried out, but not to me. Uh, Instead, they wailed upon their beds to these other gods and to these other nations, Egypt and Assyria. They assembled together for grain and new wine. They enjoyed all their their wealth and, and they partied, but they rebelled against me. And this is the parable or the simile of the silly dove. Uh, crazy, crazy. Um, where should I take us? Uh, I think we have time for this. Hosea reveals more about um, uh, Israel going and cooing to Egypt and cooing to Assyria for help. Uh, look at verse 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8, Israel is swallowed up. God's talking about by other nations. Now they are among the Gentiles. Uh, they, they're, they're no different than Gentile nations. They're, they're just as corrupt as Gentile nations. Like a vessel in which there is no pleasure. Uh, they're a useless vessel to God. They're like a vessel with there's no pleasure. It's like a worn out couch. Uh, when you have a worn out couch and it's got like got holes in it and it's like looking so ragged, you don't want it in your living room anymore. Where does it go? <laughs> to the dump, man, to the dump. <laughs> Offer up. <laughs> Israel's like a vessel with, with which there's no pleasure. Uh, there's like a worn out couch going to the dump. For they have gone up to Assyria. Look at this. Like a wild donkey alone by itself. Uh, what, is a, what is a wild donkey alone by itself? What does it do? It just braying. It just, you know, braying, looking for a mate, you know? He says that's what they're like. Uh, yes, though they have hired among the nations, though they've hired allies among the nations, now I will gather them and they shall suffer sorrow because of the burden of the kings of the princes, because of the burden of the king of Assyria. Verse 11, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. Uh, they just had altars all over. They were uh, doing, uh, you know, worshiping Ashtoreth and worshiping Baal and Molech and all these different things. Uh, they had many altars for sin and they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him great things in my law, but they were considered a strange thing. Wow. Do you hear God's heart in that? I wrote for them great things in my law. Underline great things. Great things about how to have an amazing marriage. Great things about how to have an amazing family. 
Great things about how to be a leader in your community. Great things about how to have wisdom and discernment so that you thrive in life. I wrote great things for them in my law, but they considered them a strange thing. They didn't even know God's word. God's word was a stranger to them. They considered God's word a strange thing. Verse 13. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it. They, have, they, they go to church, uh, they have their little holy, holy days, and they have a barbecue, but the Lord does not accept them because it's just vain religion. He will remember their iniquity and punish their sins, and they shall return to Egypt looking for help. Uh, why? Because Israel has forgotten his maker. They built temples... Uh, for themselves, they build palaces and all. And Judah has also multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon the cities, and it's and it shall devour and it shall devour his palaces. Uh, here we see just uh, wherever Israel turns to for like a silly dove, wherever they go for help, they're not going to be able to get help. Um, Where do we leave off in chapter 7? Did we read at 15? Yeah, let's pick it back up in 15. So, uh, so that's what God is saying. He says, hey, they're a silly dove. Even though God had provided everything for them, they go cooing after Israel, excuse me, after Assyria and after Egypt, and, and they're not going to help them. They're going to be taken away, uh, and uh, they're relying on, on faulty alliances. Uh, let's go now to the, to the fourth simile of the treacherous bow. A bow, I mean, excuse me. Um, a bow, by the way, is a weapon, right? Uh, and when you pull the bow back, uh, it's for a purpose. What's the purpose? To launch an arrow. If it's a treacherous bow, what's going to happen? You pull it back, and what's going to happen? The bow's going to snap. Uh, and you're not going to be able to shoot the arrow. Uh, look what he calls Israel here. Verse 15. Though I disciplined and strengthened their arms. If you read uh, punishment into discipline, you read the wrong thing. He's saying, though I was a parent to them. Though I guided them and nurtured them and I strengthened them. Yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not to the most high. Uh, where do they turn? They turn to Egypt and they turn to Assyria. They turn to all their pagan ideologies. They don't turn to God. They are a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursings of their tongue. Uh, in other words, their leaders will fall from the foolish things they've said. And thus shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Derision is mocking and mockery and, and scoffing. They're going to be scoffed in the land of Egypt. They're going to laugh at them in the land of Egypt. They're a treacherous bow. Uh, I want you to know Israel was meant to be a powerful bow in God's hands. And can I say something? The church is meant to be a powerful bow in God's hands. To defeat who? The enemy, right? A powerful bow in God's hands. But they were a treacherous bow. They failed miserably. They were not a light to the world. They were no different than all the godless nations. They were given over to sensuality and idolatry and immorality and corruption and deception and crookedness. Uh, they were not revealing the true and living God to the other nations of the world. They were a faulty bow. I want you to know the church has the same mission. Jesus wants his church to be salt and light. It's the same thing. Different idiom. Same thing. Salt. What does salt do? Salt is a preservative. It keeps things from becoming rotten. Salt is a, uh, a spice, a, a, a seasoning. It makes things flavorful and tastes great. Light brings uh, illumination and, and, and clarity to things. And the church is meant to be the preserving agent that brings 
clarity to God's way, truth, and wisdom, and, and understanding so that a family can prosper, so a nation can prosper. And that's what God called Israel to do, but they were a treacherous bow. And instead of being a powerful weapon to, to destroy uh, sin and to be a light into the nations, uh, they were a broken bow, good for nothing. The church today still has the same mission. We are called to go into all the world and to make what? Disciples of Jesus Christ. Teaching them to do all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you in this even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, Jesus would say. You're to be the salt of the earth. You're to be a light to the world. You're to change your neighborhood. You're to have your home shine so brightly that your neighbor comes to you and goes, hey, can I get some parenting advice from you? Your kids are amazing. And you just tell them what the Bible says. Can I get some marital advice from you? You guys look like you're in love. And my spouse and I, we haven't slept together for three months. Uh, how do you do it? And you point them to Jesus. You're to be a city on a hill. And church, I want you to know, uh, Jesus said, if the salt loses its flavor, it's what? It's good for nothing. It's a treacherous bow. That's what happened to Israel. Do you understand? Instead of reflecting God to others, Israel reflected carnality to others. Instead of trusting God and showing the world what that meant, Israel trusted in all the things that the world trusted in, wealth and power and, and the ideologies of the world, even other nations to help them. It won't help. The other nations are going to scoff at your failure, he says. They're going to laugh at you. Uh, this is uh, the tragic end for the northern kingdom. Uh, God is going to exile his harlot bride out of the promised land because of their sin, because they're so unfaithful. Let's jump forward to chapter 9. <clears throat> God tells Israel, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like the other peoples, like the other nations. For you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. God says you've prostituted yourself everywhere, and you were my bride. Verse 2, the threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed you, and the new wine shall fail in her. In other words, famine is coming to you, nation. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land anymore. You, God's telling him, hey, you're my bride, but you can no longer live in my land because you are a harlot. Uh, you're going after everything else. You can't live in my land anymore. No, can't live in the promised land anymore. Uh, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt for help and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. He says, Israel's going to go to Egypt for help. It's not going to help. You know where you're going to go? You're going to go eat food in Assyria uh, in captivity. Verse 4. Uh, there they shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord. God says, I'm putting a stop to your offerings. Your offerings are horrible. I hate your offerings. It's vain religion. I'm going to take you out of the land so you cannot make me, make me these vain offerings anymore. Nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to them. I've had enough with your vain religion. No more. I'm going to take you to a land where you can't offer sacrifices. It shall be to you like the bread of mourners to them. Uh, you're going to be like eating unclean foods. All who eat it will be defiled because your food is unclean in Assyria. There's nothing kosher in Assyria. In Assyria. For their bread shall be for their own life. Now, not only is your food going to be unclean, but you're going to have barely enough to survive. You're not going to have any food for offerings and, and for uh, holy days. Uh, you're just going to try to scrap up enough food to save your life. It shall not come into the house of the Lord anymore. Uh, I'm not going to let them make these offerings, he's saying. Uh, verse 5, he asked him a question. What will you do in the appointed day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? Or in other words, he's asking him, hey, in Assyria, how are you going to survive the holy, day, the, the, the holy days? 
Uh, what are you going to do on Christmas and an Easter in Assyria where there is no holy days? When you can't celebrate Passover and the first of, feast of first fruits and the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles, uh, what are you going to do when you're there in Assyria and you can't do these things? Verse 6, for indeed they are gone because of destruction, because of your sin. You're going to be in the, you're going to be in captivity. And here's what he says, Egypt shall gather them up, Memphis shall bury them. This isn't like Memphis, like, uh, like uh, Tennessee. Tennessee, thank you. It's, uh, this is Memphis, the capital in Egypt. Uh, he's saying Egypt is going to gather them up. Nettles, that's weeds, shall possess their valuables of silver. Thorns shall be in your tents. And you say, huh, what does that mean? He's, here's what he's saying. He says, you're going to go into captivity into Assyria. And Egypt is going to come down. Your homes are going to be abandoned. Your cities are going to be abandoned. And Egypt is going to come down and loot your homes and loot all your possessions, all the things you've worked so hard for. Egypt's going to come down and take all of it. And then you know that jacuzzi you have and the, and the backyard and everything? Weeds are just going to cover it all and just grow over it. And tumbleweeds are going to come in. It's going, uh, going to the dogs. Uh, verse 7. The day of punishment has come. The day of recompense has come. Israel knows. Wow. Wow. We think that God will never judge our sin. We think it'll never come. God says, you thought wrong. Wow. Look at this. Second half of verse 7. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane. Uh, guess who's saying that? The people. The nation Israel is saying, Hosea, you're insane. Hosea, this isn't going to happen. This is what they were saying about Hosea. Why? Because Hosea said, listen, you got to repent or judgment's coming. And they saw oh, he's insane. He's a fool. Do you know why they were saying that? Because the church they went to, all the false prophets said, you're fine. Everything's fine. Just give us your offering and you'll be rich. God wants to prosper you. Just give us your money. Give a seed offering and you'll be, you'll, oh, it just makes me sick. Just makes me sick. And so they were saying Hosea was a fool. Uh, they also said that about another amazing man. His name? Jesus. Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> and all this happens because of your great iniquity. That's why you say these things. Verse 8, Hosea would say, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God. Ephraim is saying, listen, I'm not a fool. I am the watchman of the house of Israel, and I've been appointed by God. But the prophet is a fowler snail, snare in all his ways. I know the book of Hosea is difficult to understand, and I appreciate you hanging in there with me and, and, and really meditating on this. Here's what he's saying. Listen, God has called me to be the watchman of Israel, but you are setting snares for me, traps for me, everywhere I go. You're always trying to trap me. The prophet is a fowler snare in all his ways. Everywhere I go, they try to trap me. Uh, they also tried to trap who? Jesus, yeah. Uh, even enmity is in the house of his God. Even in the temple, they try to trap me. They are deeply corrupted, as in the days of Gibeah. Uh, I wish we had time to go into the days of Gibeah, but what it is referring to is a story, you can read it on your own in Judges 19. In Gibeah, one of the most wicked things in all of Israel happened. There was a traveler going through, and he went to Gibeah, and a man in Gibeah took him into his house. He said, you can stay with me. And the men of Gibeah surrounded that man's house, and they said, we want to have homosexual relations with the man staying at your house. And they were beating at the door. And the man that was hosting them said, no, 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 no. And the man that was hosting him, they, the, the guys beating at the door, they took his concubine. 
Uh, now, Israel was, it was incredible. Don't think this is God's will. It's not. Israel was incredibly corrupt at this time. This is the period of Judges before the kings when there was no king and every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And so wickedness was abounding. And so they take this man's concubine and they rape her all night long, the Bible says. So badly that in the morning she dies. And the man uh, who, who uh, she, you know, his, his, her husband comes out and he sees her and she's been raped so badly and she's dead. And he takes her and he cuts her body parts into 12 pieces. And he sends one of the pieces to every tribe in Israel saying, look how wicked you've become. Look what you have done. Uh, incredibly gross, incredibly wicked, incredibly foul. And it brought about a civil war as they tried to clean out the sin that had permeated into Gibeah so badly. And notice what he says here, verse 9. They are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. God is saying, you're as evil as they were in that day then. And God says, he will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sins. Uh, Tragic. Horrible to see these things. Uh, God says, hey, Israel, you're so corrupt. You can no longer live in the promised land. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you into Assyrian captivity. Uh, and now God is going to express his broken heart. He's going to tell, tell them just how much this hurts him, how much this uh, wounds him. Uh, and God expresses his heartbreak as he sends, his, he sends Israel into exile. Take a look at chapter 11. This is the tender heart of God. Take a look at this. Are you there? Chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Notice the tender words of God. He calls Israel his bride and he calls Israel his son. He uses the most intimate relationships that we have on as humans, right? I called, I loved him. I called him my son. Verse two, as they called them, so they went from them. That doesn't make sense. Uh, It's not translated well. The ESV translates it this way. The more they were called, the more they went away. What God is saying is, Israel was my son. I loved him. I raised him up. But the more I called him, the more he ran from me the further away he went. They sacrificed to the Baals, these false gods of power. They they burned incense to carved images, these images of Ashtoreth, which was a sexual goddess of fertility, a little woman's body on a pole. Uh, They burned images, they burned incense to these things. They had these sexual parties up there. Uh, And God says, listen, I'm the one who taught Ephraim, Israel, how to walk. I took them by their arms uh, do you remember when, when your kids were little? Uh, uh, they first take those first steps and you hold their, their, their hands and you move them. They, oh, it's so, God says, I raised Israel. I taught him how to walk. And look what he says. They did not know that I healed them. They didn't know that I was the one taking care of them and nurturing them. Verse 4. I, God speaking, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was tender to them. And I was those who take the yoke from their neck. I released the hard burdens that were on them. I stooped and fed them. I nurtured them. I raised them. I I, I did everything I could for them. Verse 5. He, that's Israel, shall not return to Egypt. That's not going to help. But the king of Assyria, excuse me, but the Assyrians shall be his king. Why? Because they refused to what? Repent. repent. Wasn't that God wouldn't, wouldn't save them? They just refused to repent. What is the sin that, a, that destroys a nation? The sin where people refuse to repent. And so the sword shall slash in the cities, shall devour his districts, shall consume them, 
because of their own counsels, because of their own wicked plans, because of their own ideologies, they rebel against me. My people are bent on backsliding from me. And though they call to the Most High, none exalt him. They, they, they use my name. They might even go to temple every now and then, but they don't honor me. They don't exalt me. Uh, they, don't, they don't really care about me. Uh, Isaiah would say the same thing. Jesus would say the same thing. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Look at, his, look at God's heart breaking. Look at verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? That's Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? Do you know what Adma and Zeboim is? Those were cities that were destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, how can I hand you over? How can I allow you to be destroyed? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. This is God speaking. He says, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. Uh, God says, they deserve to be wiped out. My anger, if I turned it loose on them, they'd be destroyed, but I'm not going to come in the fierceness of my anger. Why? Because I'm God, not man. And I made a covenant with Abraham that these people will be my people forever. So no matter how bad they get, I will not divorce myself from them. I will still take them to be my bride. Uh, amazing, amazing. Verse 10, they shall walk after the Lord once again. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his sons will come trembling from the west. Imagine a lion roaring, and the little cubs come over and you know snuggle up. Uh, verse 11, uh, they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove. Oh, look at that. Like a dove from the land of Assyria as God coos for them and they go from this foreign lover that they had and they come back to their true husband. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.